Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Believe it or not, Duke University was established to educate Methodist preachers. How many of you knew that? The money was given in the name of Mr. Duke by his sons. But that was a long time ago, and um, since then, it has become a world-class institution for education of all sorts of disciplines. The Divinity School still trains preachers in the ministry of Jesus, but the university as a whole it seems perhaps more concerned with other interests like law and public policy. Still, well-meaning parents of many Protestant faiths continue to send their offspring to Duke in the hopes that they will receive a fine collegiate education with at least a hint of religion thrown in. Dr. Will Willeman was the dean of the chapel at Duke, and one day he got an angry phone call from one of those well-meaning parents. I hold you personally responsible for this. Me, Dr. Willeman said. It turns out the father was extremely upset because his daughter, who was once bound for graduate school, had just informed her father that she was going to, quote, throw it all away and go do mission work in Haiti instead. Isn't that absurd, shouted the father. A Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from Duke University, and she's going to go to Haiti to dig ditches. Dr. Willeman said, well, sir, I'm sure she hasn't received much training for that in the engineering department, but she's a fast learner, and she should probably get a hang of digging ditches within the first few months. <laughs> Look, said the father, this is no laughing matter. You are completely irresponsible to have encouraged her to do this. And Dr. Willeman endeavored to point out that the well-meaning but obviously unprepared parents were the ones who had started the ball rolling. After all, they were the ones who took her to church. They were the ones who read the Bible to her. They were the ones who sent her on mission trips with her youth group. Dr. Willeman said, you are the ones who had her baptized you are the ones who introduced her to Jesus. And feeling more than a little defeated, the father said on the phone, but all we wanted was for her to be a good Methodist. Mm. My friends, this is your fair warning today. If you give your life over to Jesus, there's no telling what he will do with you. There's no telling what the Spirit of God will do with you. Let's be honest today. Following Jesus is hard, right? Jesus said it would be hard. In this book, over and over, he said, look, following me, if you follow me, you'll have trouble. It will be hard. And notice, friends, it's not only hard because you surrender your life and someone else, namely Jesus, is in control of it instead of you. It's also hard because some people will not like it. When you say yes to Jesus, when you begin to take risks for the sake of his gospel, some people will push back, and sadly enough, it's not just the unbelieving world out there that will not like it. Sometimes the people who won't like it are in this room. Sometimes the people who will push back on your outrageous desire to follow Jesus are church 
people, those of us who have been lulled into complacency, those of us who love safety and predictability more than we love the gospel. But please, please, please hear me say this. Do it anyway. Get baptized anyway. Follow Jesus anyway. Give up your life for his gospel and let your life be a living sacrifice for Jesus anyway. There is nothing more significant that you will ever do with your life than to give it up for Jesus. The New Testament tells the story of a few men and women who did exactly that, and it changed the world, friends. This is the story we're telling today. This is the story of Pentecost. You see, Jesus had been crucified, and on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And he gathered with his disciples, and he said, look, I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And now the day has come. And there was a rush of a violent wind, and fire rested on each of the heads of the people. See, they were all gathered together in one room like this, and the Spirit showed up. The Spirit showed up in power, my friends. The Spirit showed up in power, and it was, it was wild. It was, like a, it was like a big tent revival mixed with a tornado, mixed with a Metallica concert. And everybody was going crazy. There was wind and there was fire. And they began to speak in many different languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And there were some onlookers and some critics. Can you imagine? There were critics. And the critics said, ah, they're just drinking, you know, they're just drunk. And Peter, being the opportunistic preacher that he was, he stood up to interpret what was happening. He said, whoa, 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 you know, we're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. He said, we're drunk on the Spirit. We're drunk on the Spirit of God. This is exactly what the prophet Joel said would happen. God said, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your young men shall see dreams, and your young old men shall see, see visions. And what would you do if the Spirit showed up that way just now in this room? Are you ready to receive the Holy Spirit? I know we would be tempted to say, Lord, excuse me, that's very nice, but uh, it's not in the bulletin uh, for you to show up right now. If you could please just wait your turn. We have an order of things. You know, we are a Protestant church, and we, we're very reverent and polite. Um, or, or would you recklessly and passionately say, yes, Lord, have your way with me. Yes, Lord, do whatever you want with us. We, we will be willing we are willing, Lord. Don't you know God wants to fill and transform every church? And why does it seem that some churches are dead and others are alive? You think God has neglected those churches? No. Could it be that the hearts of the people are either unwilling or willing? Are you willing today? Are you open to what the Spirit would do? So Peter said, look, God is doing all this through his son, Jesus Christ. God sent him into the world for this purpose. He is our Lord, and he is our Messiah. And by the way, you crucified him. And the people were devastated when they realized that the one that they had hung on the cross was indeed the Messiah sent of God to save them. And the story says they were cut to the heart. 
And they said, well, okay, what can we do? This is not good. We need to make it right. Peter, what can we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I regret to inform you that it was your sin that made the crucifixion of Jesus necessary. He died because of us, right? He died because of us. Now, that's the hard news. The good news is God still loves you. God still loves you, and God has provided a means for you to be forgiven. So that very same crucifixion that was caused by our sin is also the means of your forgiveness. So that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you repent of your sin and reject it, turn away from your sin and turn toward a life of following after Jesus, you are forgiven of your sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter said this, for the promises for you and for your children. And for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Do you understand what this means? You are called and invited for baptism. The promise is for you. The promise is for your children. The promise is for every single person who hears the invitation and the call of God to come. Friends, it's not for me or you to judge who's worthy or unworthy because we're all unworthy. And so God invites every person, imagine that, every single human being ever born, God draws them by the grace of his son, Jesus Christ. Come, repent of your sin, and be baptized. Now, every time we have a baptism at Timberlake, we say these same words, and we've already said them this morning, so I hope this is familiar to you. We say, brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Friends, this is our theology of baptism in a nutshell, right here in like three sentences. If you want to know what we believe as Wesleyans, as Protestants, about the sacrament of baptism, it's right here, okay? So first thing, brothers and sisters. We call each other brothers and sisters because baptism makes us a family, amen? We say the water is thicker than blood because it doesn't matter in Christ who your mom or who your dad or who your brother or who your sister is. What matters is who are your brothers and sisters in Christ and who is your father in heaven. We are brothers and sisters by virtue of our baptism. Then we use a word like sacrament. Do you know what the word sacrament means? It means an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Outward sign of an inward grace. We have two sacraments in the church. Baptism is one. What's the other one? Communion. Good, good Bible scholars. You know this. Okay, these are practices instituted by Christ. Wesley called them means of grace. They are ways in which we tap into the grace of God through tangible signs of his grace for us. So in communion, we have bread and wine. In baptism, we have water. We are initiated into Christ's holy church. You ever been a part of an organization, fraternity, sorority, some club, and there's an initiation ritual, right? There's some way to mark, hey, you're one of us now, and they teach you the secret handshake and all that stuff, right? No? All right, I'll teach you the secret handshake later. The Timberlake secret handshake. 
Uh, baptism is initiation, friends. This is our initiation ritual. This is what marks you as a member. And some people come to me and say, well, I want to join, but I don't want to be baptized. Well, that doesn't make any sense, friends, because baptism is membership, and membership is baptism. They go together. You see, membership isn't getting your name on some list. Membership is becoming a member of the body of Christ, a body part of the body of Christ, and a living member of his living church, of which we are a part. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. Do you know incorporated, again, means body, corpus, right? We are coming together as a body and participating in God's work of salvation. Notice in the Bible how God uses water to save his people, right? God brings the Israelites through the Red Sea, right? God baptizes us with water by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are incorporated into his works of salvation. We are given new birth, we say, through water and the Spirit. How many of you know we believe in being born again? Raise your hand. It's not just for Baptists, right? Wesleyans, we believe. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus and John. You must be born again, friends. Are you born again? Today is an opportunity. Every day is an opportunity. Reject your sin. Claim Jesus Christ. Be born again. And this is the new birth through water and the Spirit. It's not just water, right? It's the Spirit that makes baptism effective. And finally, we say all this is God's gift offered to us without price. Friends, you cannot earn it. You need not earn it. This is a gift that God gives to you by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, our theology teaches us that because baptism is paid for by your Savior Jesus, because it is the work of the Holy Spirit, you only need to be baptized how many times? Once. Ephesians 4 or 5 says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That means two things. One, it means you and I share in the same baptism. There's only one Christian baptism, and we all participate in the same baptism. It also means you only need to be baptized once, friends. You only need to be baptized once. And I, I hear some of you saying, well, you know, but I, I, I don't remember. I was baptized as a child or, you know, I sinned since my baptism. Anybody sinned since their baptism? <laughs> Me too. Uh, so uh, repentance and forgiveness is ongoing, you see. But uh, insofar as baptism is washing away your sin, you know, God doesn't need your help to do that. God can do that. Baptism is something God does in you and through you, and so you don't need to be re-baptized. Now, we do remember our baptism, and there's a subtle but very important difference. And so today at the lake at 1 o'clock, if you've been baptized but you want to come remember your baptism, you come get in the water, you see, and, and be thankful for what God has done for you. And we'll even put you in the water if you want, and you can be thankful and pray and say, God, thank you for what you've done for me, friends. But God got it right the first time. God got it right the first time. God baptizes us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I hope, by the way, every time someone joins the church, I hope every time a, a young person or an older person is baptized, I hope you remember your own baptism and you say a little private prayer, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for my baptism. I don't know, do you remember your baptism? Do you know the story? I remember mine. Rev Joe, Rev Joe Royal baptized me. I was kneeling at the rail in my church. He put the water on my head. My family was there. My parents were there, laid hands on me. It's a big deal, friends. It's a big deal. That was the first day of the rest of my life, right? This is the first day of the rest of the life of these young people who come for confirmation today. Uh, for the past nine months, we've been training them in these very things, in baptism, in theology, in the Scripture, 
in the way of Jesus Christ. And on Sunday morning, they gather for an hour or more, and their teachers teach them in these things. And they instruct them in the way of Jesus Christ. And uh, they're going to come forward in, in a little bit and make their profession of faith in front of you. Um, but in the meantime, I want to share with just a little bit of what they shared with me and with their director, their leader, Michaela, about we asked them to put together their testimony and to write down the ways in which God has been at work in their lives. And so I, it's such a privilege for me to share with you a little snippet of each of what they have written. I was nervous about joining the confirmation class, but it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my faith journey. I've never felt the presence of the Lord so evidently than on our confirmation retreat. The journey has made me want to live my faith and made me hungry for Christ and His Word. Timberlake Church, meet your newest member. It's me, Brady Davenport. <laughs> Through confirmation, I grew my faith in Jesus. Now I understand the Scriptures a lot more. Michaela has made it so fun and has left me with memories I will never forget. Nico, age 11. <laughs> Confirmation has helped me grow closer to God. All the teachers are so knowledgeable and have such a close relationship with God. When I go home after church, I feel joyful, accepted, and loved. The entire church family has been so supportive. The Lord has done so much for me. Addison, age 12. I have grown in my faith. Confirmation has brought me love, peace, and hope. Charlotte, age 11. Confirmation has been an amazing experience. On our retreat, I learned about our Jewish heritage, God's promise to Abraham, and the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. Through the story of Job, we learned how to praise the Lord even when life is hard. Zoe, age 13. I started by not praying much, but now I pray so much more. Riley, age 11. Confirmation class has opened me to learn more about Jesus. My favorite parable is the mustard seed and the yeast. You know, we have to use our imagination to know what God's kingdom will be like in heaven. I wish I could stay in confirmation for another year. Eric, age 12. I've learned about my faith. The retreat was one of my favorite parts because I got to spend time with my friends. I learned that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Casey, age 11. And finally, every Sunday I walked into the confirmation class, I felt as though I was greeted by the Lord and that I was meant to be there. This has brought to my attention that being a Christian is more than just coming to church. It is an active lifestyle and a daily habit. I have drawn closer to the Lord. Then he said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe in me. Kylie, age 14.
These are the sons and daughters of Timberlink. Friends, these are your children, whether you gave birth to them or not, because you have baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and today you confirm them in the power of God's Spirit. And I'm inviting you to take this seriously today. I'm inviting you to live your life in such a way that you point them to the grace of Jesus Christ over and over again, because they need your help. The world is a hard place to live, amen? They need your help to follow Jesus. They need you to pray for them. They need you to encourage them. They need you to correct them sometimes. They need you to discipline them and to love them unconditionally. I love that this church loves kids, but I need you to understand this. Every church loves kids, right? There's not a church on God's green earth that would proclaim publicly, yes, we hate kids here at First Church right? No church hates kids, but not every church loves other people's kids. And so today I'm inviting you to love somebody else's kids and claim them as your own by virtue of their baptism and yours, by virtue of their confirmation and their membership in this church at Timberlake. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you and your commitment to the Lord today. You're studying under Michaela's leadership your commitment to this process, this journey. So this is not an ending, right? This is a beginning. Like, you know, you call it commencement at the end of the school. You ever thought about that? Why we call it commencement? You know what commencement means? It means beginning. To commence is to begin, right? Why? Because this is the first day of the rest of your life. This is a beginning for you and Jesus Christ.